Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Someday, somehow, I am going to come up with a different intro into the episode, but clearly that day is not today. But I really love today's episode. I think it's very timely. Whether you are doing dry January or you may be sober curious, you may be sober yourself, you may have somebody in your life who may be struggling or trying to get sober, or even if you have a healthy relationship with alcohol and it's not something that you are trying to examine or reevaluate, I think this episode is fascinating. It's really interesting to kind of explore alcohol's role in our culture and hear how alcoholism can affect anybody. So you guys know my story, but my guest, Sarah Levy, has a kind of similar story. The circumstances were different, but we had a little bit of a similar trajectory. So she has a new book out. It's amazing. I just finished it. It's part memoir, part social critique. It's called Drinking Games. And basically on paper, her life was on track. She was 28. She was living in New York City. She was working a great job, socializing every weekend. But she had a secret, which was that her relationship with alcohol was becoming toxic. So The book, Drinking Games, explores the role that alcohol has in our formative years, what it means to opt out of a culture completely enmeshed in drinking, and it's an examination of what our short-term choices about alcohol do to our long-term selves and how they challenge our ability to be vulnerable enough to discover what we really want in life. I definitely recommend this for anybody. She takes the reader by the hand through her personal journey with blackouts, dating, relationships, wellness culture, startups, social media, friendship, and self-discovery. And we talk a lot about this in the episode today as well. We kind of compare our lives pre-sobriety because we did have a lot of parallels. We explore what differentiates true alcoholism from excessive or problematic drinking. We, like I said, talk about the stigma around alcoholism and addiction that I think prevents so many people from getting the help that they need. 
And then we also talk about getting sober young and how sobriety affects or doesn't affect your social life. I know that's a big concern for people, especially in your 20s, 30s, although I would assume that it would affect anybody of any age. We talk about how to ignore judgment, how life can truly begin in sobriety and so much more. And like I said, regardless of what your relationship is with alcohol, I think this is just a fascinating episode. It's relevant because it is such a big part of our culture. And I think you will be inspired. So please enjoy Sarah Levy. All right. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I was just telling you before we recorded that I love talking to other sober people and hearing about your experience and how you got there. And this is something that so many people ask me about on Instagram. So I'm really excited to get into it with you. But to start, can you just tell people a little bit about you and your background? Sure. So I am 33. I live in Los Angeles and I'm from New York City originally. And I, you know, to speak to that spectrum that you kind of just mentioned, I think for me, it was sort of always a moving target. Like I definitely started out drinking kind of like socially with friends and we can get more into it, but it really got progressively more and more chaotic for me. And that's ultimately like how I came to sobriety when I was 28. So a little over five years ago. And I never thought I would write about it. I never thought I would talk about it publicly. I was really embarrassed to be sober for probably the first year, honestly. And like I lived a kind of secret double life from most of my friends. And But I always loved to write and always really wanted to write and had dreamt of writing a book. And when I was drinking, I wasn't doing a lot of anything. Like I would talk a lot about the book that I wanted to write when I was wasted, but wasn't doing much. And in that first year, I started journaling a lot and just started connecting more with like my authentic self and started writing about what was really happening for me, which was living this new life without alcohol and started writing. I was working full-time in marketing and started just sort of freelance writing on the side and wrote a couple of essays for The Cut for The New York Times just about navigating dating and sobriety, wedding season, like just different topics. And it kind of just continued from there. And I have a book coming out now in January. It's called Drinking Games. And it's a book of essays about my experience. And it's part memoir, part social critique. So it just really speaks to my experiences pre and then post sobriety and how the decision to stop drinking affected so many different aspects of my life from wellness and my relationships to my career and mental health and so much more. There's a saying that you've probably heard that it goes from fun to fun with problems to problems with fun and then just problems. Can you talk a little bit about your trajectory with drinking? Because I know for me, like in hindsight, I see that I was drinking alcoholically from the beginning. Like I was a blackout drinker. I had tons of consequences all the time. You know, I got a DUI really young. None of those deterred me, though, because of what alcohol was doing for me. And, you know, a lot of people say that that's kind of the differentiation. Like you think that it's what alcohol is doing to you that makes you an alcoholic, but it's really what it's doing for you. And for me, it made me able to live like I couldn't live without it. So how were you introduced to alcohol and how did it turn into what it turned into by the time you got sober? Yeah, definitely. So 
I completely agree. Fun with problems than just problems. For me, the first five to 10 years that I was drinking, I would say were a lot of fun. In retrospect, it was always chaotic and problematic. And I didn't drink the way that other people drank. And the reason why I mentioned, like, I actually never had a DUI. I never had any of those, like, consequences that I thought meant that I had a problem. The reason I bring that up is because for me, that was what I clung to for so long to tell Mm -hmm. myself that, like, I didn't have a real problem, you know? Like, but from one of the first times I drank, I blacked out, you know? Like, I metabolize alcohol differently than other people. And the reason why I'm, you know, open about it now and why I love, like, conversations with people like you who are so open about it is because I didn't know anyone my age who had that experience. Like, I didn't have any friends who were sober. I didn't have any family members, really. And I just thought that having a problem with drinking looked a certain way. I thought it meant that you drank by yourself, you drank every single day, that you were, you know, losing jobs, losing relationships, and that you were probably a lot older than I was. And for me, like, it was it was fun. You know, I would go out with friends. I drank on weekends. I got into a good college. I drank there. And it was just very normalized for me. But the difference, I think, is how I felt the day after drinking. You know, like, I would start to drink and not want to stop. You know, I would have that first drink and just be like, okay, like, <laughs> this is it. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to have the best night ever. And, you know, even if it was like a Tuesday and people were like, we're having a drink <laughs> and going back to the library or whatever. You went um, to Brown, right? I went Side to note. Brown. Yeah. I did not go to Brown, but I did a lot of partying there because I grew up in oh. Rhode Island and I went to high school in Providence and a lot of my friends went to Brown. So you know. Yes. I know. I know so the scene. Yeah. You would go out in Providence. Thayer and Thayer Street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had my fake ID on Thayer mm-hmm. Street. Cardivar. You know? I don't know what I don't know when yeah. you were there, but yeah. Yeah. Cardivar and um, Paragon, Viva. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, that's so funny. Fishco on Wednesday yes, nights. Fishco. Yep. Blackout every Wednesday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every week. And But that was like what everyone was doing. And everyone was so smart and so high achieving and so mm-hmm. like high functioning that I was just like, this is like I can keep up in the classroom and then I can keep up when I go out. You know, and I felt I write in the book like it felt like a feminist act for me to drink that way. Like I felt really proud of myself that I could keep up with the guys and keep up with my classmates, you know. And But it was it was like less and less cute, you know, like mm-hmm. it was everyone starting the night out together, really excited to have a fun night. And then me throwing up all over the guy that I was hooking up with, you know, or just like really embarrassing situations where I was waking up with that shame. So then when I graduated, I moved to New York City and it started to just get darker. I had been in a relationship for a lot of college. And I think that was also like an escape for me where I just felt like even if I was really messy, like I would go home with him, you know, and I was kind of taken care of in that way. And then we broke up and it was like a pretty traumatic breakup and just brought up other issues that I had had. Like I had struggled with an eating disorder. I had, you know, anxiety and just these things that drinking sort of masked for me. And still, like I hadn't had any of those consequences that I thought I was supposed to have had. But being in New York, you know, I found friends that wanted to drink the way that I did and that wanted to stay out all night. And It just got less and less fun, you know, more fun with problems. And I actually thought about getting sober when I was 23. Not seriously, but it was like the first time that I considered maybe I should take a break from drinking. And I just wasn't ready. You know, I was still really young and I couldn't imagine what my life would look like if I stopped drinking. 
but a seed had kind of been planted where I had like connected with a couple of people who didn't drink and it, I knew it existed. And I would think about it from time to time, like over the next few years, I spent the next five years like desperately trying to moderate my drinking, which is <laughs> so hard. And you know, like mm -hmm. there's nothing worse than trying to moderate your drinking if you have a propensity for blackouts like it's yeah. really hard you yeah know? like what is there's another saying I'm sure you're familiar with all of these but something about like if I'm controlling my drinking I'm not enjoying it and if I'm enjoying my drinking I'm not controlling it yeah you can't do those simultaneously if you have a <laughs> exactly with alcohol 2022 was the year that I really refined my approach to wellness and my wellness practices and scaled back to only include the essentials that I truly feel are benefiting me. And one of those essentials that I decided to keep into 2023 is drinking my AG1, my athletic greens in the morning. Currently, as I record this, I'm sitting in Mexico. It's a beautiful morning. I am about to do a Pilates workout and I'm drinking my AG1 despite eating all the tacos, all the guacamole, chips, cheese, things that I don't normally indulge in like on an all-day, everyday basis, I still can wake up, have my AG1, and just feel kind of clear and energized and ready to go. So the routine is I like to drink it on an empty stomach. I mix one scoop of AG1 with about eight ounces of water, shake it up, and I drink it before I have my matcha or anything else. And with just one scoop, I get the nutrients, I get gut health support and vitamins, antioxidants, so many things that help my whole body thrive and covers a lot of my nutritional basis. It's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and other whole food sourced ingredients that deliver benefits like mood, immune system, and sleep support, sustained energy, and so much more. And I love their travel packs so much. They're so easy to just throw into my carry-on or my suitcase instead of packing tons of different supplements. And if you want to take ownership over your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash blonde files. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash blonde files, and you can check it out for yourself. So many people go into the new year with resolutions to be healthier. They want to eat healthier and cook healthier, but we can't do that and overlook how we are cooking our food. So start your year off right with non-toxic kitchenware so that you can ditch the chemicals and make healthier cooking a piece of cake. I absolutely love Caraway. So you guys are probably familiar with their cookware. It's kind of internet famous. It's a staple for any home. It comes in multiple colors to fit in with any design aesthetic. If you guys see any of my cooking videos, most of the time you're going to see me using Caraway. Their non-toxic kitchenwares are all designed for the modern home and feature a chemical-free ceramic coating so food can be prepared with peace of mind that no hard-to-pronounce compound will leach into your healthy ingredients. All sets come equipped with easy access storage solutions so that no stacking is required and gone are the days of misplacing your lids. I have the classic colorway, but I have had my eye on the black Iconics colorway with the gold hardware. It's so beautiful. I think I'm going to just 
go ahead and get it because I've been thinking about it for so long. And right now you can get 10% off your next purchase with Caraway. Just visit carawayhome.com slash blonde and you can take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for my listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash blonde or use the code blonde, B-L-O-N-D-E at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. I used to care so much about portraying a perfect life and acting like everything was okay when really things were far from it. I was secretly battling anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. So it was a lot. I'm Victoria Garrick, former Division I athlete, mental health advocate, and host of RealPod. Every Wednesday, I sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, and more to talk about the inner thoughts and feelings that we're all struggling with. So leave the filters and facetunes at the door and join me on RealPod. The only way I knew how to have fun was to just evacuate the building, like (laughs) not be in my body, like Mm -hmm. just be not there and obviously put myself in really dangerous situations and would mm-hmm. wake up not knowing where I was and how I had gotten there. And and then when I was trying to moderate and trying to control it, like it was miserable. I would have mm-hmm. one glass and just be thinking, okay, like how long can I wait before I can have the next one? And like, okay, I should have water. And, you know, it just, I don't, it's not natural mm-hmm. for me. Like I can't do it. And so I spent the next few years really trying hard to to moderate. And when I turned 28, it was like five days after my 28th birthday. I just had a night that was like totally unremarkable. Like it was not my worst night at all. I woke up and just didn't know where I was, how I had gotten there. I hadn't wanted that to happen. Had like booked a workout class for the next morning, which sounds so silly, but it was like I wanted to wake up and go to that class. And instead I woke up with no idea what had happened to me, so hungover, missed the class. And I was just like, this sucks. Like this is unmanageable. Like, mm-hmm. this is not, you know, who I want to be. And I had had worse nights before. I had woken up in hospitals and I had lost my phone and I had lost friends. You know, I had had really bad nights and this wasn't the worst. I just felt desperate enough to make a change. And that was that was it. That was my last drink. That's kind of the key, that desperation. Yeah. And I always find it so interesting to hear what every person's bottom was, because I think I had a very low bottom where I had all those consequences. You know, I was having seizures nonstop. I was holed up in an apartment for months in like a months long blackout and in and out of the hospital and all of those things. And I didn't willingly come to the decision. You know, I was intervened on, thank God. But when the fog kind of cleared, I was desperate enough to be willing to take other people's suggestions, you know, and that was really like what made the difference for me. But I think it's really important for people to hear, you know, that it doesn't have to be that bad. Like you're saying, like you didn't have those consequences and that kept you going for a long time. And there is such a stigma still Mm -hmm. around alcoholism and addiction that it looks a certain way and that recovery looks a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that drives me nuts when I see it portrayed in like movies and TV in the church basement with bunch of old people smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, that is not what it's like at all. There's so many people like you and I. Yeah. Well, I can (laughs) just say like, I completely agree. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had mentioned that I was like so ashamed of being sober and kept it a secret for like a year more or less. And like my, one of my really close friends who's also sober, I remember talking to her at like six or seven months and she was like, 
sobriety is very chic. She was mm-hmm. like, and I was living in New York still, and she was like, everyone in LA is sober. Like, she was like, it's very cool to be sober. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? Like, I had never thought of it that way. And, you know, as I started writing about it and being more open about it, I loved the messages that I would get and like the connections that I started to form with people who were like, thank you for sharing this because I've never heard someone's story who looks like you, who had a job, who had, you know, a life that looked on the outsides normal. And so I continued sharing my story and being open about it. And in the last few years, right, like that was five years ago since I stopped drinking, 10 years ago since I started like really considering sobriety. It's really mind-boggling to me that it's still a very similar landscape in terms of like what you find when you Google sobriety. And I think in the last few years, there has been a shift around conversations about like sober curiosity and there's a lot of influencers who are openly sober and podcasts like it's amazing to have more of these conversations but I still think that there's so much progress to be made and like the way that we have shifted the way we talk about mental health and like sexual assault and other taboo topics that like we previously shied away from there's so much more of like a collective understanding of how nuanced they are and what they look like and I think sobriety and addiction and recovery is like has like leaps and bounds to go. Mm-hmm. And so that's partially been why I've continued to like do this work and write this book because there's certainly moments where I'm like, okay, this is just all like me being vulnerable and sharing my story. And sometimes I'm like, you know, do I really need to be like doing this? But it's really important, I think, because if I had heard someone's story like yours, like mine, when I was 24, I think it would have given me a lot of permission to even contemplate that there was like another way. Mm-hmm. And instead, I really struggled for years alone because I just didn't think it was an option. I thought I, I really thought I had to figure out how to control my drinking mm-hmm. to be normal and happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and to to be able to like have the things that I wanted, which was, you know, a relationship. I was single when I got sober, a career, friends. Like, I didn't know how to have any of that without drinking. Yeah, I think it is so important for people to have people that they can look to. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to be really open about it. First of all, it's the foundation of my life today. But I was like you. I thought getting sober would be the worst thing. I got sober at 28. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be the end of my life you know, and I was so embarrassed initially. And Mm -hmm. I think nine years ago for me, like the stigma was even worse than it is today. But I agree with you. We've embraced talking about mental health and all of that. But for some reason, and I don't know if it's because so many people still consider it kind of a moral failing Mm -hmm. instead of a disease, Mm -hmm. you know, it still has a long way to go. Do you have any advice for somebody who isn't sure if they are an alcoholic or They're just not sure that their relationship with alcohol is healthy. Like I was taught to go out and try some controlled drinking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that trying to practice controlled drinking is really good (laughs) advice because I think you figure out really quickly whether or not you can. And I think it's there's a distinction between like whether or not you can truly stop at two drinks because you might be able to do that. I was. Mm -hmm. And if you're still thinking about it. Like, I think it's the mental obsession and the fixating on it. And if you, like, I think if you need to ask, how do I control my relationship with alcohol? You kind of already have your answer. That's a good point. A lot of people don't 
really ask that question. Some people might ask, oh, I want to just be healthier in general. Like, what are some things I should do? Maybe I'll cut back on drinking and drink more water and try to get more steps in. Like, that's a different conversation if it's just about like wellness goals. If you're continuing to come back to the question of like, do I have a problem with the way that I drink? That might be your answer. It was for me. I tried to overthink it for a long time and like took all the online quizzes and like, how do I know if I have a true problem? And it's like, it's progressive. So where I stopped when I was 28, it certainly could have gotten worse, you know, and my answer would have maybe been like more like harder to argue when I was 45 or whatever, but it, it's the same, you know? Mm-hmm. So that would be the first thing is like, if you're continuing to come back to it, like that might just be your answer and maybe just take a break and see how you feel. And I think if your life gets better without alcohol, that's something that someone said to me, like you maybe, that was maybe the problem. The other thing I always say is you probably have someone in your life, a friend of a friend of a friend who is sober. Like I would have a conversation with that person. For me, hearing people's experiences and hearing their stories, like shed a light on my own feelings. And so when I was newly sober, I didn't know anyone really who was sober, but I had one like acquaintance who would post about it on Facebook. And I literally like, it was, I didn't slide into his DMs because it was Facebook, but like (laughs) I messaged him on Facebook and I was like, hey, it's so embarrassing, but I was like, hi, I saw you're sober. Like, can we get coffee? You know, it's not embarrassing actually. Like people have since done that to me and I think it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. (laughs) Best thing ever. But like at the time it felt really like scary. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he was so nice. We got coffee hearing his story and hearing what was working for him was really helpful for me because it was like, oh, this person qualified for sobriety and has decided that drinking doesn't work for him. And I can relate to a lot of what he's gone through. So maybe I have the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think also just like not overthinking the label, you know, Mm -hmm. like alcoholic, addict, like there is such a stigma. And like, I always say, you don't have to worry about that in the beginning. Like, just it's not working for you. Like dairy doesn't work for me. Like that's okay, you know, like whatever. Mm -hmm. I think just, yeah, talking Mm -hmm. to people that are also not drinking and seeing if you relate to them would Mm -hmm. would be my suggestion. That dairy analogy is funny. That is how you know, right? If you're intolerant to dairy or something, you can stop drinking dairy. It's not an issue. But if you are intolerant with alcohol and you continue to do it, regardless that's very telling right (laughs) that's the insanity of it it's like an allergy I really feel like I'm allergic to alcohol like I don't process it the way that other people do I'm blacking out I'm throwing up Mm -hmm. I'm poisoned the next day okay so like say call it (laughs) and you want to do it again and then I want to do it again (laughs) call so it's like people who have a peanut allergy aren't like oh like okay maybe I'll try like a peanut butter sandwich like maybe I'll just like try having peanut butter in my smoothie (laughs) like no they just don't have peanut butter because it makes them sick But like the insanity of the way that I drank was that I was constantly trying to figure out like, how can I do this in a normal way, Mm -hmm. you know, and it never really, it never really worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know because I did all those things and I know what you're talking about. Only drinking wine, only drinking beer, not drinking during the day, only drinking after five, only drinking on weekends. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, just the list was endless of the ways that oh, I yeah. tried. And I also had like drugs in my story because cocaine could make me not black out. Yeah. And that was like truly magical to me. And then yeah. I would need something to come down from that mm-hmm. and then deal with the anxiety the next day. And so it was this exhausting 
chemistry <laughs> experiment. experiment that I totally. was doing day in, day out for 10 years. I mean, sobriety really is the easy way. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I don't think about it. I no longer view that as like the solution. And I no longer think of that being the way that I have fun. Mm-hmm. And I do think it just takes time, you know, mm-hmm. but like speaking to what you were just talking about of like trying so many different things and only drinking wine and this and that, like wellness was also a really big part of how I tried to fix my drinking. Mm -hmm. And like I would do juice cleanses and I would do hot yoga and (laughs) I would like do all these things, you know, to tell myself that like that would fix it. And it's been really interesting in sobriety now. And I wanted to talk to you about this because Mm -hmm. I know like you're so passionate about wellness. It's still like a fine line for me because like now being sober, I really want to feel good. And so like self-care and wellness and all those things like make me feel good. But sometimes I can still find myself slipping into thinking of like, maybe this will fix Mm -hmm. the thing, you Mm -hmm. know, like whatever, call it whatever you want. My mental health, my like spiritual condition, right? Like if I eat this or work out in this way, and I love what you just said about like, it's just still a few simple things. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, you know, like meditation, whatever, you're, like it's not about the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even, a, it wasn't ever actually about the alcohol, just like it's not actually about the green juice or the workouts now. Mm-hmm. It's like an inside job. And I think once I figured that out and started healing that, yeah, going out and being around alcohol became so much easier because I wasn't thinking of it as the answer. So we had been feeding Harvey the same kind of food for most of his life, and we started to suspect recently that he wasn't really enjoying it. We started to have to coerce him into eating, either by feeding him by hand a little bit at first or pretending like we were going to eat his food. I wouldn't recommend any of this, by the way. But he still wasn't really having it. So we decided to make a switch and we got him Sundays and he cannot wait for his next meal. And I also have to say his coat looks even more beautiful and shiny than ever. He's getting lots of compliments. So Sundays is air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian. It contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. Besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease-fighting antioxidants. And dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their pups, including softer fur, like I said, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy. I know other dog parents can relate. We get so happy now at mealtime to see how happy he is and how excited he is about his food. He actually comes to find us a few minutes before his normal mealtime to try to get us to go feed him a little bit early. And there's no better feeling than seeing your dog happy. So on top of that, Sundays is also convenient. Unlike other fresh dog food, it's zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf stable, which makes it easy to feed your dog top quality food. Every order ships right to your door, so you never worry about running out of food. And it's affordable. It costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen 
packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your dog. So I have a special deal for my dog-loving listeners. You can get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Just go to sundaysfordogs.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S F-O-R D-O-G-S sundaysfordogs.com forward slash blonde. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. You guys probably know this scene. It's 11 o'clock. You're trying to fall asleep, but you have a weird, let's say, rash on your arm. This was me a few weeks ago. And you decide to get on TikTok and You go down a rabbit hole full of questionable advice and diagnoses from so-called experts, and all of a sudden, you're panicking and you can't sleep. There are better ways to get the answers that you want and the care that you deserve from trusted professionals and not random people on the internet. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience that you want. In fact, ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and they treat almost every condition under the sun. I found one of my favorite doctors ever on ZocDoc, and it was because I was trying to book with somebody else that I had heard about through word of mouth only to call and find out that they didn't have any appointments for like a month. So I ended up using ZocDoc. I found somebody who was very highly regarded, well-reviewed, and was available. So no more Dr. Roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor that you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who's patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. Right now, you can go to ZocDoc.com blonde, and you can download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com blonde, ZocDoc.com blonde. Yeah, I totally know what you're saying, too, about like the wellness practices and all of that. I was not into wellness at all whatsoever before I got sober Mm -hmm. because I just didn't have room in my life for anything else besides drinking and like trying to manage that. So there was no room for like hot yoga or anything like that. But I did always think that external circumstances, if I could only get them right, Mm -hmm. then that would solve my alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... I don't think I've ever really felt like any of the wellness things that I do are a replacement, Mm -hmm. but I do sometimes get far enough away from the daily practices like that maintain, Mm -hmm. you know, that I get uncomfortable enough where I have to bring myself back and do those things again. No, I know what you mean. Like if my mind is right and I've started the day with a meditation or a gratitude list Mm -hmm. and then I go to the kitchen and make breakfast, my thinking is different than Mm -hmm. if I just wake up and go into my day. Mm -hmm. Because my best thinking just going into my day, I still do have some old tendencies. Mm -hmm. And for me, like my drinking and my eating disorder were very connected. So that for me, those are like the same two Mm -hmm. sides of the same coin for me. It was like, how can I get outside of my body? Because I don't feel like I'm good enough and I don't feel like I am 
Like I need to change somehow. So whether mm-hmm. that's through drinking or through restricting my food or whatever. And I am in recovery from both of those things. But I do notice that like if I go a few days without taking those, you know, <laughs> doing like the daily maintenance, like mm-hmm. I can fall back. And then I'm like, okay, well, then I'm doom scrolling and I'm mm-hmm. like, what does she eat? Right. And then mm-hmm. I'm, it's like a compare and despair and like, what workouts does she do? And mm-hmm. why am I not doing those? And like, it can be confusing because sometimes I really have to be rigorously honest with myself with my wellness consumption mm-hmm. and really yeah. make sure I'm doing stuff that's serving me and that I feel good doing. And right. Like that's like walks and like Pilates, like that's not berries and high intensity workouts right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it used to be. But I think, yeah, it's just interesting thinking about like this connection between like my spiritual condi- condition and my workouts because mm-hmm. there really is one. Like if I'm not feeling good and coming from a place of like compassion and like what's actually going to be the best for my body and mind, I can take my eating and exercise and all of that and skincare and all of it mm-hmm. into a really like disordered place. Mm-hmm. It's like everything Yeah, I have to be, I have to like, be careful with how I use everything. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I have that with different things. I think social media and just technology in general can be a huge distraction in a way that manifests a little bit, which is hard because it's my job too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it is kind of like a a daily rebalancing that you have to do. But it's really simple. I don't want anyone listening who might be sober curious or whatever to think that like, It's hard and complicated. Definitely not. I think giving up alcohol is the best decision that I've ever made. And it was so simple. You give up Mm -hmm. one thing and you get so much in return. And so much of like why I am open about it and why I write about it and why I wrote this book is because I felt like, like you said, like it's a superpower. Like I really wanted to share that and to share how much better my life got. You know, I, I would read a lot of addiction memoirs and like I was looking for a lot of books about sobriety when I was newly sober And it always seemed to like end at sobriety. Like it would just Mm. be a bunch of crazy stories about rock bottom and all the messy blackouts. And then it was like, and then I got sober. Mm -hmm. And this book kind of starts at sobriety. I mean, I talk about my blackouts and I talk about my drinking, but I also talk about what life has been like over the last five years. And by the time it comes out, I'm sure like other lifey things will have happened. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so cool is that like life is in session and I get to be a present participant for it because I'm sober. And that just wasn't the case when I was drinking. Like I wasn't living my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've gotten married sober. I've like moved from, you know, New York to LA. Like I've gone through some big changes and I've been able to do them. I would never have been able to show up for any of them if I was drinking. So. Yeah. And I read that you said like your life began when you got sober. And that's what I always say Mm -hmm. too. Like I thought it was the end of my life and it was really the beginning And I love that you talk about life after getting sober because you can do anything. It is a superpower, I think. You mentioned earlier, like going to weddings sober. And this is something that people ask me all the time. Like a lot of girls in their 20s, especially, will send me messages on Instagram and be like, I kind of want to get sober. Like, I think maybe I should, but I don't want to lose my friends. And I still want to be able to go out. What was your experience like with that? Well, I definitely continued going out like Mm -hmm. right away. I mean, I was in New York and in my late 20s, so I didn't take a break from dating. I didn't do any of those things that like (laughs) I probably should have done. I just continued to go out and I was a little hard in the beginning. Like I felt a little awkward and clumsy those first couple of dates. And but 
after a few months, like I really just started to physically feel better. I was sleeping better. I felt less anxious. I had more energy to do the things I wanted to do. And weddings, I was really stressed about because like (laughs) weddings were about open bars for me. Like Mm -hmm. I loved, I loved a wedding because I loved just having an excuse to get wasted. And, you know, I would just say like, have something in your hand all night, like have a Diet Coke, have a seltzer, like whatever your drink is. And just to, for me, like remembering that it wasn't about me was such a game changer. Like I felt like everyone would be staring at me, noticing that I wasn't drinking and like no one's paying attention to you. Mm -hmm. Like they're looking at the bride and groom. It's not about you. And like that moment for me was such an unlock where I was like, oh, I can just show up and like be there, like listen to the vows, eat some cake, dance, and then I can go home if I'm not having fun, you know, and no one cares. And Mm -hmm. that was very liberating for me. Mm -hmm. And I did. I had and have so much fun sober at Mm -hmm. weddings and parties and all trips and all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you said that because I think that we have this notion that like everybody is going to notice either that we're not drinking or they're going to ask or they're going to care at all. Everybody is so wrapped up in their own shit that I doubt that anybody would give it a passing thought. And if they do, that might not be somebody that you really want to have in your circle anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I've heard for people saying, you know, their friends were like judging them or whatever for not drinking. And yeah, I think that that's maybe like a sign that you might want to reevaluate that relationship because, you know, ultimately, like if you think that this is best for you or something that you want to try, whoever's listening, the people that care about you should support that, even if they don't understand that. Definitely. Yeah. And my friends were very supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, I did have some friends that I was less close with who I stopped spending as much time with because we drank a lot together. And Mm -hmm. that was the foundation of that relationship. And that's okay. It made room for other friendships, some existing ones to get closer, other new ones to form. And like you said, you know, the people, it's cheesy, but like the people who care about you and want the best for you are going to be like, that's great. And honestly, they probably won't be that surprised. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of my friends were like, that makes sense. Yeah, like, thank God. (laughs) Yeah. And I wasn't that fun to be around when I hit a certain point in the night. Like Mm -hmm. your friends don't want to have to take care of you every time you go out with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's funny now to think back. I was so worried that my friends would stop liking me. It's like, they didn't like me at nine drinks like throwing up all over their uber like Mm -hmm. no one likes that yeah and now I don't think of it as like something's wrong with me you Mm -hmm. know I just think like I'm different than my friend in this way the way that like dairy again like Mm -hmm. maybe she can have dairy without any problems like I can't drink in the same way that she can but that's okay that doesn't mean something's wrong with me and it is like a superpower for me you Mm -hmm. know now that I'm sober I just have gotten so much more done like Mm -hmm. it's crazy and I you know, my relationships are better. My self-esteem is better. Like I have self-worth. Like those are things that I didn't get from drinking. Yeah. I love hearing that. And I think just to add to that, and hopefully this is encouraging for anybody listening. I started drinking because of the social lubricant aspect of it. Like I always just felt like I was a little bit off from everybody else. And Mm -hmm. like I wanted that connection and I felt like I couldn't have that sober and I felt uncomfortable. And like, I'm, so much more comfortable in my skin sober and me too. so much more comfortable socially now initially it was kind of hard but you can have all of that sober as well yes it's so true like for me too alcohol was the thing that made me feel cool skinny smart funny whatever the adjective is like I found it in alcohol because I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I had it on my own and 
in sobriety, I have been able to genuinely feel those things and not like the superficial ones necessarily. I just feel like I'm enough Mm -hmm. in my own skin Mm -hmm. because of the work I've been able to do since I stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard somebody say like sobriety did for them slowly what alcohol did for them quickly Mm -hmm. or what they thought alcohol did for them quickly. And I love that of my experience too and it sounds like yours as well so thank you so much for coming on i just love having conversations like this and i can't wait to read your book i got an advanced copy so i'm really excited i'm gonna start it tonight thank Um, you so much for having me i loved talking to you thank you and everybody we can link the book in show notes that you guys can get it quickly and where can everybody find you on instagram at sarah l levy or on my website, sarahlevy.com. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.